Namaste to all of you. We are ready to start. After last week, I made an introductory speech about the present world situation updating where we are, each one of us individually, and where we stand with Agama Yoga and with the world situation in general. I'm thinking to prepare today for the coming retreat. I don't know how many of you will have the time and the possibility to join us into a full retreat, but uh, please do not fall into the perfectionistic trap, which is laid by the demons, that uh, <clears throat> if you cannot do it, all of it, perfectly, then you should not do it at all. Remember that the meaning of our spiritual life in Agama for many, many years has been clearly the idea that um, for the Christmas time and especially for the New Year's meditation, which is the maximum, which is the highest time of our meditation, for that time we need to be in a good state of spirit, in a good state of mind, and uh, in a good state of the body. And that's why it has been customary in Agama, and for myself personally in the last perhaps almost 40 years, that the month of December in general, and especially the last 10 days of that month, have been always consecrated to some spiritual practice. To support the pupils of Agama, we have done it into a retreat so that people with a certain discipline and with a certain system to it, with a certain rule to it, they can come and they can practice every day. And in this way, you go through the first two, three, four days of purification that most of you know already. And then starting with the fifth, sixth, seventh day, you feel lighter and lighter, more and more detached, more and more connected to spiritual matters, more and more yang in the meaning of yin and yang in the meaning of related to the cosmic energies. And thus, when you reach to the time around New Year, you are approximately at the best that you can be in this year, in this stage of your life. Thus, the purpose in our retreats and in the coming days of this Agama period of time is not that you manage to do something perfectly or that you undergo 
formidable uh, self-discipline or that you subject yourself to enormous penance or that you show your muscles and how powerful you are. And no, not at all. The purpose of what we do here in Agama's environment is that we are asking you to take some time for yourself, to take some time for the divine concerns for your aspiration, and in that way to simply get into a good place of spirituality and practice. I am saying this because my uh, discourse of today is also about helping you with your aspiration and with your orientation the end of the year is a time when we draw the line and we make the accounts for the years, the spiritual accounts, the existential accounts for the year that has passed. And uh, the time when we take fresh decisions for the year that is yet to come. So um, I would like to be with you in this period of time, not only through the fact that I will be holding discourses and I will be doing meditations and uh, you will be doing together with the teachers of the school even some Hatha Yoga and we will advise you to take a good spiritual clean diet and lifestyle in general. But I would like to contribute with food for your thoughts in thinking about some of the major spiritual issues that we are having at this time of every year. So, uh, of course, during the New Year's retreat, there will be speeches, there will be lectures, and we hope that we can make them uh, open or available for everybody so that you can get inspired. I'm also aware of the fact that we are not all on the same time zone as we used to be when we did physical retreats together in Thailand or in India. And uh, therefore, that... Um, some of you might watch these lectures and uh, some of the activities of the school, you might perform them according to your own biorhythm and according to your own time zone. And that's why we, I am uh, trying to be as open mentally as possible so as to encourage you to think about the important things in your life to do the important things in your spirituality, to practice, to purify yourselves, to detach, to cleanse your mind of many of the impure thoughts that the society is giving us, so that uh, this period of time is a deepening. And uh, of course, we are going to start uh, with some days centered around Jesus, and the message of Jesus, because he is so very meaningful for the yogis in general, 
and for the environment of Agama in particular, where many of our yogis feel a special connection, a special attraction to the message of Jesus, to the type of aspiration that Jesus is giving. And therefore, I'm not going to insist right now on the elements about Jesus, because we will have a few Jesus days which are happening during our retreat. And I just want to say, try to participate into this retreat any way you can. Even if you can participate one hour per day. Even if you can participate two hours per day. Even if you would be joining some of the talks, discourses, and meditations. And even if not all the hours that we practice fit with you. Remember, doing less is much, much better than doing nothing. So therefore, try even if you have to do less because of the circumstances of your life, uh, try to do that little personal effort to make yourself uh, attuned to what is happening both in our school and at the same time to what is happening at the level of Shambhala and what is happening at the level of the planet. So instead of uh, starting talking uh, about Jesus, I prefer to make a short, after I outlined last week, the fact that we have been in a bitter year of crisis and many people have felt confusion, fear, misinformation, and uh, we have all been subjected to various restrictions of some of our basic freedoms, and the list would continue. I would like to remind to, to all of you about some of the things which come to us because of this Kali Yuga time, as we call it in India, as we call it in Indian yoga, bec uh, in, according to the Sanskrit words used for it this period of time in which we live. And I'm not going to start now making the theory of the four yugas, what's happening in the four cycles of humanity. There is a special lecture or satsang which I have delivered once upon a time on that. And I hope it is either posted online or if it is not posted online and you can find it and listen to it, then maybe it will be in the future in the year to come, so that uh, you can have a full study into this major issue. But uh, I'm going to just sum up some things, and I'm just going to give you the short version. And if you want details like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, he never spoke details about that. Uh, again, those will be in other lectures or at other times. I will not stop on to the details of it. I just want to remind to those of you who know and to tell to those of you who never heard this statement that Kali Yuga is considered by the yogis and not only the yogis, the Buddhists of Tibet are sharing the same concept. Many other spiritualists from, any, from other spiritualities, either Hindu or Buddhist, or of other kinds in Asia are sharing this kind of 
concept. Kali Yuga, the Yuga of Kali, but unfortunately the Farangs, the non-Asians, they think that Kali refers to the Black Goddess, to the Black Mother of India, who is called Kali. And unfortunately, that's just a consonance of names. You could go there, but it's not what was intended because the word Kali was a word... Um, again, I do not see myself. I presume there could be uh, an internet local problem. So um, we will see. You can still... Uh, I have restarted the video for a mysterious reason. My video had disappeared. So um, this Kali Yuga, the name Kali, comes from a Vedic game of dice, which was I did start my video three times by now. So we'll see will fight with the imperfections of the technology, if necessary. Um, I just want you to understand that what I said last week in the context of uh, a rather difficult year or a rather peculiar year for most people, at least for the functioning of our yoga school, it has definitely been a challenge. Uh, Kali Yuga, the word Kali comes from the Vedic word, for throwing a bad dice in a game of dice, in a gambling game of dice, throwing usually the lowest number, which is one on a dice, and when you throw that number, you lose. So it's like, almost like you would say, bummer. You know, bummer. Oh my God, this is a bummer. And Kali Yuga is the bummer yuga. is the yuga of uh, losing is the yuga of not having a great time. And I'm just going to sum up very briefly because that's not where I want to go. We have descriptions of Kali Yuga from the old Hindu scriptures, but again, that belongs to another satsang. I just want you to be on the same page with me with some of the statements made about Kali Yuga, uh, some of the defining conditions because I want to speak about us. I want to speak about the spiritual seekers, about what have we achieved this year, how do we end this year, and what do we propose to do next year. I don't want to do too much philosophy of Kali Yuga, but a few introductory ideas are necessary. Kali Yuga is considered to be the winter of mankind, the winter of humanity, and it is considered like an age of darkness. And in the Northern Hemisphere, where this concept has been fathomed, where this concept has been fashioned, it's like the analogy with a farmer, because the yogis often were people living in the countryside, is the analogy with a farmer in the winter season what to do in the winter season if you are a farmer. There's not much you can do because the earth is cold, covered by snow, the climate is not very friendly, and therefore in the winter is more like an, a time of contemplation, 
of recollection, of staying quiet, and uh, in terms of flowers and farming and things like this, not much is happening. Because of this, Kali Yuga is notorious through its decadence in terms of spirituality. Like spirituality is like the flowers and the gardening in the winter. There's not much of it. And uh, this is a factor which may discourage many of you. Having not done much yoga, having not read many scriptures, not being in personal touch with people that can awaken your understanding and aspiration. Then people being on Svadhisthana, on the second chakra, for those of you who don't remember the name of that, people being on Svadhisthana most of the time, they get easily contaminated by the society and by the people around. Either you watch television or you meet with friends or whatever you do, everybody around you is depressed, lacking spirituality, on Svadhisthana, and it's very easy to get contaminated because Kali Yuga is notorious through its decadence in terms of spirituality. If you would live in the 16th century Tibet, which was from certain standpoints a miracle, a living miracle, a planetary miracle, then you would have one-third of the population, one-third of the population living in monasteries. Men, women, monks, nuns. And the discipline in the Tibetan monasteries was generally notorious for being very hard, very harsh, very committed, very severe, very strong. And then when you are surrounded that 33% of the country's population is living like that in a strong, practical spirituality, then you can imagine that the rest of the population is also a little bit like that contaminated. You see too many examples. You hear about too many examples around you. And then you yourself, from time to time, your inner voice says, oh, I should also do from time to time something more spiritual. But in Kali Yuga, in its majority, and 2020 is a notorious year, is a real excellent example from this standpoint, you see a lot of bad things. You see people running away, being afraid, being coward. You see people scared, confused. You see people compromising and acquiescing all the time to the pressure of the authorities. You see so many things and you are surrounded by fake news, sometimes coming from the governments themselves. And you are surrounded by... Uh, a lot of other forms of misinformation and uh, you don't see anybody and you are not with your spiritual friends and you are not together with people who are very committed or very accomplished in their spiritual domain. And then some the same voice in you, instead of saying, um, I think I should do something glorious, I think I, sh I should also do something great, that voice in you is saying like, uh, I guess it was all a dream. 
I guess it was all uh, fiction. I guess, uh, you know, I better surrender and acquiesce like everybody else. I guess uh, there is not much I can do. And all that depressive, negative way of thinking. And thus, uh, to be spiritual in the Kali Yuga is rare and it's difficult. And it's like going against the stream. That's one of the metaphors used in Tibet and in India, like swimming against the stream. Everybody is going, I don't know, to be vaccined or to be, you know, whatever. And some spiritual practitioners go exactly in the opposite direction. They go exactly against the stream. So some of you who consider yourselves spiritual seekers in this Kali Yuga, you are in a very peculiar position because it's exactly like you are trying to be a flower and outside it's winter. Authentic spirituality in Kali Yuga is rare. Even many religions, churches, sects, cults have become very twisted, very false, very diluted, and the spiritual information is becoming adulterated either through scarcity, like there is no real information, or through inflation. For example, yoga seems to be a well-known world phenomenon. There is even an international day of yoga uh, accredited by the United Nations or whoever gives a green light to all these things. But hey, the yoga they are talking about is very often not the yoga that we are teaching in Agama because we are trying to stick to the traditional yoga, authentic yoga, yoga that has as effect the spiritual immortality and freedom, the emancipation of the spirit, as Mircea Eliade wrote it, in the first PhD ever published on yoga in the West. And the yoga, which is celebrated into the International Yoga Day in June sometime, is unfortunately a form of monkey yoga. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar fitness business in which people buy Lululemon trousers or whatever, and they roll their back on inflatable balls, like in Pilates or something, and they use all sorts of strings and props, and they think that because they stretch and they breathe a little bit and they feel good and alive, uh, this is what yoga is. It's, uh, it's exactly like you would consider that uh, the prostrations, which the Tibetans do, are a very good form of physical exercise, and they are good for fitness. I remember that the great cynical writer, American writer, Mark Twain, wrote a book which is called The, the Story of a Connecticut Yankee at the Court of King Arthur or something like this, a sort of a humoristic novel. And there the guy, the hero, who was a 19th, 20th century American, who was pushed back in time in the time of King Arthur, 
he was making all sorts of sarcasms about how primitive people were in the medieval times. And he discovered like one of the, you know, horrendous, one of the stupid humor things that the movement which the ascetics, the hermit, the monks were doing when they were doing full body prostrations to Jesus, it was the movement which in a mechanical factory, it was the movement of this mechanism from the wheels of the train. And therefore he had caught some of these hermits and they were doing these prostrations, but they were linked with ropes and metallic strings to some machine. And meanwhile, the machine was sewing shirts. They were like the engine of sewing shirts, of shirt sewing machines, you know, because like they were like exactly like donkeys to a chart, to a cart, I'm sorry. You know? And it's like, what are we talking about? You know, it's like, is this? what prostrations are, mechanical energy for sewing machines, and all the people who pray and do prostrations, either Christian or Buddhist or whatever, they should be yoked like horses and used for sewing shirts by, you know, Nike or some other business company who does that, you know, Dolce & Gabbana. Or we are talking about the blasphemy that, you know, when you do the Padahastasana, do you do it just for stretching hamstrings or do you do padahastasana for a purpose which is spiritual and esoteric? That's why I'm saying that even not only that uh, the information is rare and there is a lot of falsity, but the information is adulterated and sometimes through inflation. You ask a hundred people who do yoga, A hundred people who do yoga, they have the feeling that they know what the padahastasana or the shoulder stand is. And then you discover that maybe one, two, let's be generous, five persons in a hundred, they actually know what padahastasana or the shoulder stand actually does to the human being. And the other 95 people, they have been to a gym and somebody taught it to them as a monkey yoga, as a gymnastics, as a form of stretching, and they think they are doing some physical exercise. Spiritual support seems hard to get. Today, it's very seldom that you would say that a government or somebody is supporting you to do spirituality. Abhinava Gupta was invited by the king of Kashmir to live in his kingdom, and he was given a pension and a house so that he could would not need to focus or to mind about spiritual, I'm sorry, about material things, and that he would be able to consecrate his life 24-7 to the spiritual research, to the spiritual study, to the spiritual practice. Such support is hard to get. Maybe there are some of you who are having a material support going permanently or quasi-permanently for you, but for many of you, the daily life is a challenge where you have to sustain yourselves materially and in many other ways. Not only material support is hard to get for most people, but the general collective mind is negative full of skepticism, materialism, egoism. 
It's like I remember I was talking to a friend recently and suddenly I reached to, you know, how people lack trust in themselves, in the power of nature, in the divine things. And, uh, you know, we came to an example where I spoke about, let's say, people having cancer. Today, in the so-called modern world, people are even forbidden to say that there exist alternative methods which can heal cancer. Some brave American guy has done a two-series documentary called The Truth About Cancer that I advise you to see, which, in which he unearthed about 20 to 30 methods which are very practical and many of them very scientifically proven, which are working formidably in cases of cancer. And they can give you, I'm not talking about yoga and yogic diet and this. You know that we had our own department of yogic healing and many miracles have happened there. But, and then I was talking to this friend who has done maybe 10 years of yoga, 15 years of yoga, you know. And then we somehow mention cancer passingly in a discussion. And then she says, uh, you know, oh, no, after I've seen my mother dying of cancer and even trying some alternative things, if I would be hit by a cancer or something, I would go straight to the hospital, to the doctors, to the famous triad of chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and surgery. This is Kali Yuga. No? You wouldn't have had the Svatmarama, the author of Hatha Yoga Pradipika, or the sage Geranda, the author of Geranda Samhita, or you wouldn't have had Ramakrishna or other people like this thinking like this, thinking in such negative, skeptical, materialistic ways. Now, if somebody says, oh, I'm playing with yoga, and then uh, I'm in danger of the coronavirus, and suddenly I'm going to have uh, 15 vaccines shut up my ass. What kind of confidence do you have in God, in the universe, in nature, in what is happening in this universe? No, you do not have any confidence. You play with yoga like it's some sort of weekend hobby. <clears throat> and when push is going to shove, when, when, when things are getting serious, then suddenly you quit. <clears throat> Sorry. Suddenly, you quit all your commitment to yoga, to holistic medicine, to the power of nature, and you are just, then where is your soul? Where is your heart, really? How much confidence have you got? How much commitment have you got? No, put your money where your mouth is. No? Like you have to manifest some things concretely. So... There are also many, many discouraging examples because either some spiritual people have failed or some people who were supposed to be teachers, gurus, or others have had major flaws. I always keep telling to people, please remember that in Kali Yuga, they are not only Kali Yuga students, they are also Kali Yuga teachers. When we read about the deeds 
of some Tibetan yogis from 500 years ago, when we read about some of the deeds of the fathers of the desert, the Christian mystics of the golden age of Christian mysticism of about 1,500 years ago, it's like we read science fiction. It's like we read, you know, did people like Abhinava Gupta and Shankaracharya and people like Rishi Agastya or people like Krishna and others, did they really exist? Did they really do the things which they are supposed to have done? Did they really live in that way? We like don't see many living examples because even the spiritual teachers in late Kali Yuga, as we are now, they are swimming against the stream. They are struggling with their own attachments, with their own skepticism, with their own tendencies, because they are in the same river where you are. And uh, the pressure being so big, sometimes it happens that priests, Brahmins, rabbis, Sufis, gurus of yoga, and others, they are maybe not as brilliant as you read that Patanjali was, or that you read that uh, word Krishna was, and therefore the world is filled up with discouraging examples, and when you are in such an environment, you are very much on your own. Like you have to push, not, you cannot be babysitted too much. And there is an aggressive attitude against spirituality going even till martyrdom, like so many spiritual people have been turned into mar martyrs, martyrs. And uh, you have all seen that both in 2018, when uh, we had our own events in Agama, and when the planetary positions were really, really bad, and negative energies were there, and in 2020, this year, when again some negative energies have been there, there, has been, there have been a lot of stories about spiritual teachers, schools, like, I'm not going to even start mentioning names, but Buddhist, Hindu, neo-spiritual, and others and others, there have been a lot of negative energy going around them, mysteriously, exactly when the astrological energies and the collectives of conscious mind energies have been so negative and so disturbed. If we would have had splendid astrological circumstances, in which you would say that you feel uh, the wind of the angels blowing in your sails. And at that time, some spiritual schools or churches had a great trouble. Then you would say, okay, that was under the influence of a beneficial energy, of a beneficial wind blowing in the right direction. But when the energies are so negative, scientifically, knowingly, like you have the tables of ephemeris and others to see, and then exactly then a lot of things are happening in Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Yogi, Sufi, and other environments, then you know for sure 
that we are talking about the manifestation of demonic and dark energies. So in Kali Yuga, we have this aggressive attitude, but I would like to give you the bright side because we enjoy that bright side. Look, I am perhaps blocked from traveling for a few months, but I'm here online on all sorts of networks with you. You can be simultaneously second by second with minute during this satsang. And it will stay recorded online and you can watch it again and again. And those who did not watch it at this time, they can watch it three hours later or three days later. And you can address your questions by a lot of channels like email and others more fast than that. And so, actually, all this technological bonanza, all this technological gold mine that we have here makes that the information comes easier. No? We can speak about uh, TUMO, the secret Tibetan method of producing bodily heat in the middle of the winter. We in Agama, we teach it once in a while when we do the Tibetan yoga workshops. But hey, there are people who are doing uh, workshops or some seminars of TUMO and they put images on YouTube or other platform like that. You can watch them anytime. You can watch 10 different people attempting to show you the breathing style or exercises from TUMO. If you would have been in the 12th century in Europe, where I am right now, how would you have learned about the Tibetan method for stirring up Kundalini and the bodily fire from Tibet? No? It would have been a life-threatening journey of years for you to get in Tibet, and there you would have had to kowtow to a master who would have maybe moodily or whimsically postponed showing you these methods for three, four years before he actually got confident in the fact that you are a sincere spiritual seeker and you deserve such information, that you deserve such revelation. And therefore now you just sit in your home, you are on a full stomach, you drink some whatever juice, fruit juice that you drink, and then you click on the computer and you are exhausted that you've been doing 15 minutes of research on your computer and you find 10 people who are ready to show you how TUMO is being done. You cannot compare it. The ease of reaching information is uh, amazing in our times. And uh, my first Hatha Yoga teacher claimed that in his perception, the spiritual achievements also come easier. Because if in Tibet there were, let's say, 3 million citizens, 3 million inhabitants of Tibet, and out of those, 1 million, one-third of the population of Tibet were living in monasteries. And out of those, 10% of them, 100,000 of them, were actually doing some technologies of yoga. 
Tibetan Buddhism was so close to yoga that all of them were doing some visualization, mantras or something. But let's say that just one-tenth of them, one in ten of them, was actually doing the powerful things, the concrete powerful things of yoga. And it means at one given time, in a country of three million people, you had a hundred thousand people doing daily intense yoga practice. Today, if you go in a nation of three million people or five million people or something, maybe you will find, maybe you will find, I don't know even what to say, 500 people who are doing intense spiritual practice every day. Therefore, because there are much fewer practitioners, because the world is confused and materialistic and cynical and skeptical and focused on egoistic things and focused on food, drinking, taking drugs and so on, uh, then automatically the spiritual practitioners become, in the eyes of God, they become more precious simply because of the numbers. There are fewer of them available. The investment from above is much more easy to obtain and much more intense because it goes to a much smaller percentage. Remember that Krishna in Bhagavad Gita told to Arjuna clearly, and that was 4,500 years ago or so, and it is supposed that Kali Yuga was not even begun at that time, or it was right in its beginning, and because of this, it is supposed that the spirituality was much stronger, much more sincere, much more authentic. And at that time, Krishna tells to Arjuna, Oh Arjuna, out of a thousand people, one is ready to do something for their spiritual development. There are even translations of Bhagavad Gita in which they say that Krishna does not actually mention the name 1000 and he uses a generic expression which could be translated, if you stretch it a little bit, out of thousands of people, one is doing the right thing spiritually. One person in a thousand is 0.1%. In a country of 5 million people, 0.1% is very, very little. Yeah, it's 5,000 people. And if it's one person in thousands, it means less than 5,000 people in 5 million. It means maybe 1,000 people in 5 millions. And Kali Yuga has gone much, much more bitter, much deeper today. So today you do not find 1,000 people in a country of 5 millions who do authentic, committed, hard, daily spiritual practice. That's the problem. The problem is that you, those who of you who choose to listen to such satsangs, and those of you who choose to be in Agama or in other spiritual schools where you are trying to perfect your spirit and to liberate your spirit, 
you are maximum, maximum one in a thousand. There are people who practice polyamory, like having multiple sexual partners. There are people who practice, who are of the sexual orientation of homosexuality, being gay, female or male. There are people who are other and other things in the society, and they are called minorities. And there is a great care of taking care of the minorities. My dear friends who are spiritual, you are all a minority. And believe me, in your country, there are more polyamorous people there are more lesbian, gay, and other and other <clears throat> transgender and whatever other minorities are there. There are many more than you. Like you are a very small minority, and because of this, such very small minorities are usually persecuted, not seen, ignored. Your, uh, your needs are not being taken care of the society because you are so few. But Jesus, on the contrary, told to his apostles, you are the salt of the earth. Like, because there is 12 of you who believe in me and follow me, these 12 of you will reach to the kingdom of heaven like nothing. There will be so much grace there will be so much blessing showered upon you precisely because you are a small number. This is one of the enchanting truths that we, those who care about spirituality, we have an increased value due to the scarcity. Everybody else is trying to go with Elon Musk on Mars or to drive an electric car from Tesla or to microchip themselves to be half androids, half human beings. Everybody is thinking idiotically that they will be replaced or combined with artificial intelligence or God knows what other nonsense. And people who meditate on the Yoga Sutra, or people who meditate on Kashmiri Shaivas, or people who open their Ajna Chakra or their Crown Chakra, the numbers are very small because it's the winter and you don't see many flowers in the winter only in exceptional places <clears throat> and in exceptional <clears throat> conditions so remember being in Kali Yuga is worth meditating you know like what am I going to do in this Kali Yuga what will be the outcome of my life is it a blessing that I am a spiritual seeker, or is it a curse? It's like I got the wrong virus, and I am accursed that while everybody is happy to go to Mars with Elon Musk and to drive an electric car, I just want to open my third eye and to see the past, the present, and the future. I want to open my crown chakra and be one with Shiva. And everybody is looking at me and says, what a weirdo, what, a, what an odd person, what a handicapped person, what a freak is there. So while it's very discouraging, on the other hand, remember that the access to information, the intrinsical value due to scarcity and the speed with which we get spiritual achievements comes actually easier. There is more investment in the people 
would do those things. That's why, in a certain way, to be in such an end time of Kali Yuga as we are, and to be committed to your spiritual destiny, it's a big gamble. Because definitely to some people it gives the impression like, oh, maybe I'm wasting my life. Maybe I'm losing. I could just put a microchip in my shoulder and do this or do that. So people is like, oh, I'm not up to the hip for times in which we live. I'm not attuned to all these modern times. But on the other hand, you, while you may have this feeling that Why aren't there other people like me? Why aren't there other people who understand me or who think like me or who want to do what I do? And then here is a bitter test because if you are Zbadistanistic and if you are like a sheep, you start moving according to other people and you betray your own soul because you say, I must have been wrong. I couldn't have been right. Then when you die... You may discover that actually it was the right thing to do, but it's too late to do something about it. That's why this spirituality in Kali Yuga has huge advantages. And the fact that we communicate via some platform is a huge technical advantage. And at the same time, there is a lot of challenge if people can stay focused on what they feel, what your intuition tells you that it is the right thing to do and the right way to live your life. And ultimately, even Jesus 2,000 years ago, when Kali Yuga was pretty bad, and the proof is that a man like Jesus, instead of being proclaimed king, universal king, not only Jewish king, all the world's king was actually crucified in a miserable way, uh, which shows what kind of world we live into, what kind of paradigm we are into. Even Jesus at that time declared that temporarily this world is ruled by the devil. He said it pretty clearly, calling the devil the prince of this world. But not as a matter of be scared. It's like it's temporary. It's exactly like you would say, my country is under the power of cold. Winter is coming, to paraphrase this recent series of television. No, but like, hey, winter is coming. It's natural. It's part of the cycles of nature. It's the will of God that winter is coming. So the question is, what will I do? How will I celebrate Christmas and New Year when I am at a time of history where winter is coming? Will I be dreaming about uh, flying a rocket to Mars with Elon Musk? Or will I do what Jesus would have done, what Buddha would have done, what Shankara would have done, what Milarepa would have done, what Rumi would have done, like what is important in this life. That's why it's not like uh, nature is against us. It's a peculiar type of challenge. 
children can be very happy in the winter. They take their sled or their skis and they go sledding on a slope of a hill. And they are very happy and they spend hours and hours giggling and playing with their sleds. And they cannot do that in the summer or in the spring. So there are many perks to the fact that it's winter of mankind, but we have to learn to see the full half of the glass. This glass, that it's Kali Yuga, and it's close to the end of Kali Yuga, this glass is half full and half empty. The half empty part, I told you a lot about it, and it doesn't belong really to this satsang, but the half full of it is that now you can catch a great opportunity. Exactly as uh, there has been this crisis, this medical crisis, which I believe is fake to a large extent. And in this pseudo crisis, some people have become enormously rich, enormously much more rich than before. There are people who understood immediately what will be fashionable and what will happen. And they became, you know, they increased their wealth tenfold and more. The speculation and, you know, like if it's Kali Yuga, how can you speculate the fact that it's Kali Yuga? What would you do in Kali Yuga? Yes, it's true. Kali Yuga is a demonic time. Jesus himself has said it. I'm not the one who comes with conspiracy theories like this. It's the words of Jesus who said the devil is the prince of this world. So the question is, how will you speculate it? What does it mean for you? Okay, we see what's happening around, but what will, does it mean for you? No? Because Jesus has given hope. He said, there, there, for I have vanquished the world. So Jesus said, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. The world is just a test thrown at you. And let's see what you do when you are subjected to such a test. And the test can be passed quickly. No, it's exactly like, um, let's say, officers in the army or medical doctors. If suddenly there comes a war, we have seen that in the Second World War and other times, people who are in the military, people who are in the medicine, those who did not die, they advanced very quickly. There are people who in a few years became generals and field marshals and so on, which in normal peace times, it would have never happened or it would have taken a lifetime. But in war, the death rate is so big and the acts of heroism are so big that some people made general <laughs> or I don't know, made doctor or made airplane pilot or other things in a matter of months because everything was fast forward. Everything was on fast forward. In the same way, in Kali Yuga, sometimes spirituality is on fast forward. And again, maybe it's not the same piece as if you studied with Guru Agastya 5,000 years ago and you spent 30 years in his ashram learning, meditating, being sattvic and peaceful and not challenged to pretty much anything, and you would have been in a good spiritual company. Yes, there was one way. And today, 
we are on the battlefield. Today we are in a sort of invisible, some people say it's not even so invisible, world war. And because we are in a world war, we have to make a choice. Like if we want to be doctors or pilots or whatever, we have to make that choice. So we are living in a sick planetary environment and we have to see what we do in such a planetary organism. We can use these new age sentences that we are all one and everything is nice and we are a big family and organist. But when in this organism, many, many people are demonic, confused, autistic, whatever, egoistic, materialistic, sexually perverted, drug addicted, and a million other things, then the question is, where is our place? If we are cells in a body, what kind of cells are we in a body that is sometimes profoundly sick or profoundly impure? So the spiritual practitioner, the spiritual seeker, is like a brilliant genius child in a class of retarded kids. Does he have to play dumb and stay at the level of the others? No, like if everybody is spiritually stupid, do I have to pretend that I'm spiritually stupid so that they don't see me for what I am? Or for a variety of reasons that can be that you don't have the guts to provoke the crowd, or should uh, you stand up and stand out of the crowd? No? Because you are definitely one in a thousand or maybe one in ten thousand at this time of history. So the spiritual seeker is a different person in an environment which is often hostile. And when I was asked years ago to give a report like, okay, you are the salt of the earth, maybe it's a megalomanic thing, maybe you are just autistic, schizophrenic and damaged goods. But spiritual seekers are being told by their masters, by their teachers, that you should trust in your spiritual quest and that others have done it before of you, and that you are going to do it, and you are going to succeed, and therefore, to trust in your difference. You are different from the others, and you are happy to be different from the others, and you know that one like you is necessary, actually, in this world. Hey, we have become very few Maybe we, the real spiritual practitioners, are one in 10,000, or maybe less nowadays. And this little number of people, 0.01%, if it's one in 10,000, know, this very tiny number, we still have a function. Or if not, we are to be put in a concentration camp, like sent to Auschwitz, and executed or something, or sent, deported to Siberia, like in the Russian gulag camps. You know, it's like, what are we supposed to do in this world? And I suggested several attitudes that some people, for example, practice secrecy. Either personal secrecy, 
or uh, this uh, dead poet society type of thing that uh, there is a sort of uh, inner circle. Why not secret societies, but they are not always that beneficial. Those, some sort of elite circle. So you could choose to be a spiritual practitioner in a very secretive inner circle environment. That's what's happening in ashrams, in, uh, you know, in maybe some Tibetan monasteries, generally places where there is a very intense practice, maybe some Sufi dargas from the Middle East, or no. And there people, they don't go out and tell you too much about what they do. They just stay in their ashram, stay in their environment, in their elite circle. It doesn't have too much efficiency in terms of mass efficiency. Like everybody knows how the disciples of Ramakrishna were spending their day. What were they doing from morning till evening, the disciples of Ramakrishna? So I can do the same. I can live the same life. We, you don't know. They didn't rub it in your face. Some people in Tibetan monasteries, when they isolated and did a lot of practice, they claimed that at least it had some telepathic efficiency, that uh, what you do influences the society telepathically. And uh, that's also a sort of contribution to mankind. But at least when you choose to be in an esoteric place, life is more comfortable. Like people don't really know what you do. You may be known as an odd fish, but you are in a secret place. And then you, it goes sometimes in Asia as far as hiding completely one's spiritual concerns and practice. Like the Chinese style, mostly the guys must have seen some kung fu movies where the guy who is the big master of kung fu is drunk all the time. And it's the drunken style. And everybody who doesn't know just sees an idiot, a drunk Chinese stupid guy. And those who know, they know that that one is the greatest Kung Fu living master, you know, because under that drunkenness, there is hidden a very, he is hidden in plain sight, but in such a way that people don't realize anymore. So many others, the Rosicrucians did that in the medieval times in Europe. And even in yoga and Tantra, we have encountered examples of people who were smartly covering their tracks and doing. They come to a school like Agama, they learn their things, they go back to their country, there they have five to ten people who are in their inner circle, and with those people they have a sort of a secret inner circle where they cultivate their spiritual practice. Whenever they need to learn to study something, they go back to their guru, they go and take another workshop or something, they come back to their inner circle there, they study more, they practice more, and in a certain way they have a spiritual family, an inner circle of their own. Be advised that here I'm not talking about all these notorious secret societies from the Western world, because these secret societies, most of them 100 years, 200, 300 years ago, 
they have been corrupted and they have been committed to politics, financial manipulation, and other similar things. And you are going, if you go to one of those, you are just going to think that you are going into some very secretive and very operative uh, secret society, and you are going to discover when you die and meet with your guardian angel that you have been tricked by the demons and that you have been in the completely in the wrong place. So uh, open your eyes. I'm talking about it on a personal basis that you can create your own secrecy. Other spiritual practitioners, they choose the path of humbleness. Like, okay, we are in the winter. What to do when it's cold in the winter? You endure it with extreme patience. You know that the winter might not be finished in your lifetime even. So you endure it and expect maybe persecution, marginalization, martyrdom, even misunderstanding. Realize that you work for the whole planet because we are all an organism and that is a comfort, a consolation. And this is mostly the part of the heart. And this is the part of the Christ. Christ recommended this, that, okay, you take the yoke on your shoulders. People are not going to be nice to you because you are one in a thousand or one in 10,000, maybe nowadays. And therefore, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be nice. And you know it from the very beginning. And you are assuming it. You are owning it as they say nowadays, you know, you are just simply saying, okay, I'm a spiritual seeker in Kali Yuga, and I will live without in this way. Another alternative, closer to the secrecy, is the isolation. The people, there are people who live as hermits. They go in a hermetic lifestyle with total detachment and inaction. I remember having seen a documentary somewhere on internet with uh, people who are measured to have very high IQ numbers, because there are many fake news about some of these people, but the ones who have been really measured scientifically and proven. And I think they were amazed that the guy in the United States who had the highest IQ, like he was the champion of the IQs in the United States, and he had retired to a farm together with his wife, and he was living the simple life of a farmer, raising chicken or whatever he was doing. Like, and people ask, how can such a super smart person accept such a hermetic, isolated lifestyle? It's possible. I'm, I'm talking by analogy because I'm not saying necessarily that this guy was spiritual, but because he was definitely very intelligent. He really understood something about the world in which we live and how to deal with it. And he looked around and he said, if I'm surrounded by stupid people or people who are definitely much, much more stupid than I am, then what to do with them? Do you think I'm going to make them see what I see and understand what I understand? Am I going to make them smart? No. So therefore, he simply preferred to find a hermetic thing. He isolated himself from the world in this way. Some yogis do the same with their spirituality. 
Another alternative, much more offensive, is to be a crusader, fighting for the forgotten ideals openly. Like, what's the condition of a man? What's the condition of a woman? People have virtually crucified me because they put out on internet some things which we are telling in Agama about masculinity and femininity. In a stupid age where there is gender confusion and where people don't know if they are men or women anymore and if they want to be and what they want to be. And you are supposed not even to call people he or she anymore. Like some absurdities which are, you know, preposterous, really. No, And just because in Agama I quoted what Buddha said or what Confucius said or what, uh, I don't know, the author of Ramayana, Valmiki or whoever, what they said, you know, people were like, oh, how dare you and so on. So sometimes you can fight for forgotten ideals openly, and but that's like trying to grow roses in the winter. You're in Kali Yuga, and therefore there is a partial success, and it may require self-sacrifice. So it's like even we in Agama are aware that if we push too much, and if we try to make some things too public and too widespread, it is like swimming against the stream, and it's like growing roses in the winter. So we try whatever we try, especially, and like, this doesn't make me less of a crusader, but at least I know what I'm dealing with. Some yoga people, they took rather the attitude of the guerrilla, the outlaw fighter, the Robin Hood in spirituality. Like you fight for forgotten ideals, you realize that they are impossible on a large scale right now, you grow roses in your house or in your glass house. It's a path of action. It's karma yoga. You have to take responsibility. It goes in going against the stream many times, many unexpected ways. No? And it's like I always remember that uh, there was this challenge in the life of Osho, the famous Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, later called Osho, no? that he always was very unhappy about paying taxes to the society. He said, I am a weirdo, I'm a freak, I don't belong to your world, I'm not asking any favor from your world, the world of the 99% of the people out there doesn't give me any favor, it's just trying to rip me off as much as possible, as often as possible. If I got... 93 Rolls Royces. I got 93 Rolls Royces from my wealthy disciples, not from of any favor which the society has done to me. It's my inner circle. Everything which I have done, studied, achieved, or it's me, is just my merit, you know. And now you want me to pay taxes, which taxes will be used for military going and invading other countries, or God knows what other miseries will be there. And he even said, Buddhas are tax-exempt. In the end of his life, they made him pay a lot of taxes. And part of the sorrow of his end of life, he was very disappointed because he could not continue wildly with his Robin Hood style, 
because the society encroached upon him. But there are people like Osho, like Tibetan lamas, like gurus of yoga. I have known people living like this. Like, hey, if we are in Kali Yuga, we are like Robin Hood. We don't live by their rules. We are outlaws, sometimes even openly against some of the laws of the society. Like, hey, what am I going to do about the lockdown? And what am I going to do about vaccination? What am I going to do about this and that? Okay, we are outlaws in this environment. And it's a very seductive path because it has an independent character, sort of an extreme karma yoga, but it's very slippery for the ego because people who live in this way feel like they are chosen or special. That's what Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And therefore, one has to pay extreme attention still to yama and niyama, the moral and ethic rules of yoga. Um, one has to observe the spiritual principles such as detachment, purity, genuine spirituality, because unfortunately the 20th century has shown examples of people being in spirituality and who, because of practicing this outlaw style, they have done some excesses. They got carried by the style, and unfortunately, if they didn't have good spiritual company or a guru of their own or something similar, then uh, sometimes they had uh, misperceptions in terms of what to do, what is correct. There are other attitudes in spirituality, like some people can be very smart, some people can be very charismatic, some people like, there are different attitudes, but in this speech here tonight, I was trying to remind to you who you are and in what circumstances you are. And uh, you know what, if you want to play apocalyptic movies, we can say, let's say that in three years, we get the third world war coming. It will be, of course, a nuclear war and 90% of the population of the world will disappear. There will be, the survivors will have to deal with contaminated air, contaminated water, contaminated food. And, uh, okay, humanity will not completely disappear, but it might be reduced to a million people from eight billions that we are today. So there will be just like almost extermination we will be back to Stone Age, you know, all the water dams and all the nuclear power plants and all the satellites and all this, they will stop functioning because there will not be any technical personnel to service it and to use it. There will be no more internet, no more electricity, no more running water. No, we are back to Stone Age for a large number of years. And if such a thing will happen, it can happen also if a big meteorite or a comet hits the earth, as John predicted in the Gospel of, in the, I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation, the last book from the Bible, where he says clearly that a star fell from the skies onto the earth and one third of the population died instantly 
and the water and the air and the food became very bad suddenly. Now this, this is like a comet hitting the earth and we like the dinosaurs being on the brink of extinction. If such things are happening, it's possible that Satya Yuga will come there with and suddenly some of you can be charismatic, smart, crusaders, change the world, become spiritual leaders, form communities of great commitment, and uh, it's possible. But if the world doesn't radically change in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, then we are still in this winter in which the government are becoming more and more tight. They are having this fascist attitude in which they tell you to get vaccinated or not. And if you don't get vaccinated, they blackmail you with 150 different things. They tell you that you can circulate or you cannot circulate. They tell you what to drink. What to, they, you cannot buy salt without iodine in a supermarket. You cannot buy milk that has not been pasteurized in a supermarket. And 120 different things, which most of you know, this is called fascism. When the government is too much poking its nose into your personal life and your, into your fundamental freedoms, this is fascism. Many, many of the people criticizing the modern society, they say openly that we live in a form of fascism because this is not the freedom that we have been dreaming about. This is not the freedom which is archetypal and which people are longing for. And if the world will change radically, then uh, it is possible for some yogis to go on the rooftops, like the Tibetans speak about the lion's roar, and roar their truth to the whole world from there. If the world will not change too much in the coming years, because it will change at some point, but maybe not during our lifetimes, then we're still in the winter. And in the winter, flowers can grow only in glass houses and in protected environments. And then, there, of course, there will still be spirituality. There will still be some spiritual practice, but it will be very scarce, and very secretive, and very isolated here and there. And uh, that's the way things are. Remember, therefore, that this... Uh, Satsang was when we come close to Jesus for Christmas and when we come close to the New Year and to the Shambhala meditations and to the other amazing things which we do and which are there, ultimately, this is the issue. How was this year for you? Are you a spiritual practitioner? Do you want to be a spiritual seeker next year also? In which direction will you go? Will you create a secret circle of practitioners or will you climb on the roof of your house and shout to the whole world, even if it can mean your physical extermination? Like, what is your attitude as a spiritual practitioner in Kali Yuga? What would you like to do next year? In which direction would you like to go? Somebody asked me, it's like, aren't people like you supposed to go out there and do a revolution? And I said, yes, I am 
making a revolution in the meaning that I am awakening as many people as wish to listen to me. I am awakening as many people as wish to hear the spiritual truth and other related truths. My dharma is not to be with banners in um, the Arc de Triomphe or in the I don't know which plaza in which famous city. I am not good for street actions like this. I am good in communicating the spiritual truth to people, inspiring them, awakening them, offering them the methods of practice which they can choose if they practice and how much they practice in their daily life. So this is my way of doing a revolution. I am a kindergarten teacher who takes people from the street and teaches them, shows them some light, gives them some light. My revolution is the revolution of creating new people, of creating people who know, of creating people who wish to do something about this. Other people have other powers, other grace from the divine, and therefore we are together, all those of us who are into spirituality are in one part or another part of this great clockwork of spirituality, which is we are on a mission from God, if we want to be very infatuated. We believe that we are the good guys, and therefore, uh, that's what we do. And now we come to the end of the year, we draw a line and we see how has this year been, how is the Kali Yuga around us, and we take decisions for the coming year, like what we would like to achieve in this year, in which direction do we want to be Robin Hood, patient martyrs? Do we want to be crusaders of the truth? Do we want to be secret associates in a secret group of people? And everybody should follow their call according to the temperament, according to the grace which has been given to them. Remember, spirituality never dies because we are all having the spirit of God in our hearts. We are all part of God. We are all related to God. So we are not uh, earthlings, pieces of clay that are trying to see some light. We are beings of light which are having a Kali Yuga experience right now. And that's why spirituality may seem scarce and threatened, <laughs> but um, we are all God. And because of this, God cannot disappear. God cannot be hushed down. Spirituality cannot disappear. There will always be one person in 10,000, or why not? Maybe one person in 100,000. That is possible. Who still sees the spiritual things and who still yearns for the spiritual things. There will always be people like Buddha who have reached close to their last incarnation on earth. And those people have a longing for freedom, have a longing for nirvana, for peace. Those people have a longing for emancipation of their spirit. This cannot be stopped. 
even by the most bitter Kali Yuga which can exist. The society and the world can become very impure, very difficult. Nobody can kill the spirit in the human beings. That's why you be confident. Focus on your own spirituality. Focus on your own aspiration. Follow your star and just know what kind of world you are into. And together, let's step in the new year with a, a nice retreat of spiritual thoughts, meditation and practice. And let's take good decisions about what is fit for our own temperament to do in the coming year. I have known for many years now that I am a teacher, that I have the qualifications and the skills for being a teacher. I have been a teacher until now, and I will continue being a teacher as long as there is life in this body and I can physically teach to all of you. That's why, <laughs> in a similar way, I want all of you to find peace in your hearts and in your souls. Know that you are in the world in which you are. You cannot change that. You cannot suddenly say, God, stop this Kali Yuga. God has reasons which are way beyond your fact that you are pleased with it or displeased with it. There are cycles of the universe which have to be fulfilled. There are inferior spirits that need to be incarnated and have a place for evolution. Therefore, it's not yours to decide. What is yours to decide is to decide what your response, what your actions are to this and to do as much as your soul is asking you to do. Thank you all for joining me in this satsang, preparing for the Christmas and New Year retreat. Namaste to all of you. I hope you have inspiration in these days. I hope you have a clean, good diet for spirituality. I'm not saying you should go in a Shava diet, but at least a nice, better quality diet in these days. Most of you have been instructed about what that is like. I hope all of you are practicing 10%, 20%, 100% more than what you practice usually. Stay in touch with the school. And I hope I can see uh, most of you in the discourses during the retreat and in the meditations that we will do in this retreat. May God give you peace and light and happiness. It's also a time for celebrations. It's uh, Christmas is a time of having the spirit of Christ reborn in your heart. So may you all be blessed from this standpoint and see you along the path for those of you who choose to be on this path of Agamas Yoga. Namaste to all of you.